Welcome to episode five of Region Ahead, a podcast from SimCog, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments. I'm Chris Williams. And I'm Trevor Layton. Today, we'll be talking about transportation with SimCog's own Trevor Brighton and Christina Ignacic. Trevor and Christina are both transportation planners. SimCog's General Assembly recently adopted the 2045 Regional Transportation Plan for Southeast Michigan. This plan describes how more than $35 billion will be invested in our region's transportation system over the next 25 years. Trevor and Christina took the lead on developing this plan, and we're excited to have them both here today to talk about it. Welcome, Christina and Trevor. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Okay, so let's start off by talking about what exactly a, a regional transportation plan is. Uh, Trevor, could you tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing when you're putting together uh, a transportation plan for a region as big as Southeast Michigan? Transportation systems develop over a long course of time and require a lot of resources to be, to be put into them to build them out and to maintain them. So we take a long look at our region, um, both in terms of population and economy, to try to anticipate what we'll need in the future so we can schedule out what we are building now. In order to in order to meet uh, our future needs. Okay, and so how often is a regional transportation plan developed and adopted? It's adopted every four years, um, or every four to five years. Uh, it needs to be regularly renewed because new challenges come up, and and we're able to bring to bear a, a whole new set of of data and analysis to changing conditions. All right, so Christina and Trevor, the the plan is comprehensive. Um, addressing the full transportation system. But what does that really include? Sure, yeah. So there is over 2,000 miles of fixed route bus service that each year accounts for over 52 million rides on our public transportation system. Um, Within our region, which makes up about half the state's population, we have Um, 25,000 miles of public roads, which we are all collectively responsible for maintaining. Um, There's over 3,000 miles of bikeways, walkways, and routes within our region. Um, 140,000 acres of parkland in Southeast Michigan for recreation and tourism purposes. That's a really great number. Um, unique to our region, we have eight international boarding border crossings to our neighbors over in Canada. And each year, there's over 180 million tons of freight that is moved in, out, and throughout our region. Okay, Christina, could you tell us a little bit about what's changed since the adoption of the 2040 transportation plan in 2013 and the 2045 transportation plan, which is adopted this year, 2019? A difference between when we were developing the last plan, as you referenced, and now um, is that there is now an entity, the Regional Transit Authority, that is responsible for planning activities in four of our seven counties related to public transit. Okay, so when we talk about a regional transportation plan, it's much bigger than than rail and, and buses. Those are an important part of the plan, but not necessarily what we're limiting ourselves to, is, and that's really more the domain of the, the regional transit authority, though we do include their plan within ours. Absolutely. So um, transit is a, is a big portion of this plan, but we also cover things like freight move- movements and biking and walking and how the economy and tourism plays into our transportation system and the environment, 
a lot more topics than just what the RTA is responsible for. Aside from the Regional Transit Authority, have there been any other major developments that affect the way you think about transportation now? Well, when we took a look at uh, our regional development forecast, uh, which we do ahead of any plan, uh, which takes a look at uh, what what likely will be our population in the future, as well as uh, what are the economic conditions that we'll be facing. Uh, we see that uh, our largest population cohort, the baby boomers, are entering into an, into the um, years of maturity post-retirement, uh, which has a whole lot of implications for how, how the bulk of our population or how uh, a, a large group in our population will be getting around. Uh, we'll need to be relying on a lot more uh, uh, ways outside of single occupancy vehicles to be able to make, make sure that people are able to get to their medical appointments and see people and maintain active, healthy lives. Another thing that we've taken a look at since the last time that has really um, changed a whole lot of what we think about transportation in the future is the, the rapid advancement of connected and automated technologies. Uh, how these vehicles connect to transit and how transit is able to extend the uh, extend the length of, of a lot of these services uh, is highly important. So the way we're able to mold and adapt future technology into our needs uh, in order to provide the best service for people across the region is highly important. And thirdly, uh, and this is more of a long-standing issue, um, the uh, ability to fund all of our transportation needs is 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 highly critical. No matter what aspect of transportation we're thinking about, I think everybody knows um, wherever they drive in our region that, that the infrastructure isn't in the condition that, that we would like. Um, and right now, the whole state is, is thinking about you know how much money they're willing to invest in that. Um, is there anything in the plan um, that talks about you know what, what can be done based on the resources that are available? Yes, Trevor, we've uh, spent... Uh a good number of years collecting road condition data and bridge condition data in order to be able to show uh, how fast the, the system is either improving or, or, or declining. And we are able to take a, take a close look at, at the, these road condition trends and see that while we spend about four to five hundred million dollars a year on, uh, on improving road, road pavement, uh, in order to get to a level over the course of 20 years of, of roadways that are e- that are 80% in good or fair condition, we're going to need an additional 1.2 billion dollars a year uh, in order to in order to meet that mark. Um, it's going to be even higher to, to, to get to a to a to a 90% good and fair condition, and that's the on the road side. On the transit side, uh, over the course of our plan, we're uh, planning to spend 9.2 billion dollars on transit both equipment and operational services. Um, in order to reach the level of services that are described in the latest Regional Transit Authority plan, that number will need to be more like $20 billion in order to get to a level that makes us uh, competitive with other, other metropolitan areas. Earlier I mentioned that you and Christina took the lead in developing the plan, um, but I don't suspect that you guys did it alone. Can you kind of talk about some other um, individuals or agencies that helped out with the regional transportation plan? We had input from county road commissions who played a big role in the project selection, and their decisions were fueled by um, really input that we heard from the most important folks, which are system users, which are really the residents of Southeast Michigan. So we had various ways in which we engaged the public. Um, we went out to all of the counties at different locations, different times, had various surveys, and we were really just wanting to learn about their 
priorities and that really set the foundation for us creating our policies and actions which will keep this a living live document and turn it into an implementation strategy which is what we're looking forward to in the future and throughout the process we were working with our elected leaders throughout the region through our transportation coordinating council um, really every step of the way they were involved in giving input and providing feedback and um, really getting into the details of what this plan is turned into. So it really involved so many different agencies and different partners um, as well as the public who are the most impacted by all the changes in, in this plan and the, and the improvements to our system. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the some of the major things that um, the the whole region is thinking about when it comes to improving um, our ability to to walk and bike? Sure. So um, safety is a really important component of this plan and the work that we do at SEMCOG in general. And the data that we've received over the past year um, is showing an increase in biking and walking fatality um, throughout the region. This trend is something that we're taking very seriously and it impacts our most vulnerable road users. So um, really at any point in a trip, someone is walking, um, even if their primary mode is an automobile. And that's really important to think about. And when we build our roadways and make improvements, having infrastructure that accommodates all is really important. One of the things that we uh, uh, really need, have started to take a look at with our walking and biking facilities because they are incomplete in many areas um, and are now something that we're trying to build out a network of, of dedicated facilities so that people can reach multiple destinations and access what they need to access either on foot or by bike. Um, one of the things we're reaching into is uh, is uh, developing a count program that takes not only into consideration the number of motor vehicles that are going down the roadway, but also the number of people that are walking and the number of people are, that are biking. And that is going to be able to give us a sense about where this, these activities are taking place already and where we can focus our attention in order to close these gaps and think through the system, through the perspective of a person on foot or by bike to try to anticipate safety concerns and accessibility concerns across our region. $35 billion is a huge investment in our transportation system. What are some of the ways we can actually see that money working to strengthen our economy? Our economy has grown around our transportation system. Our base economy for uh, decades has been laid upon uh, automobile manufacturing and design. In order to support that, trucks and other, uh, other vehicles are all used in order to bring materials in for, uh, for parts development and assembly and also finished products going out into, into the rest of the world. And so it's critical that our transportation system provide enough, enough capacity to uh, allow for all this movement as well as, uh, as, as well as enough reliability for these business, businesses to meet uh, just-in-time standards to keep their factories running on time. Um, apart from that, there's also uh, a whole lot that uh, it helps maintain a high quality of life. 
Uh, we need to have spots like airports and train stations for people to be able to get on transportation and visit other parts of the country and, and the world. Um, there's also, uh, it's, it's also important for us to be able to um, provide mobility for visitors to our region in order to get to spots of, uh, and attractions for tourism. Um, and so the tr transportation system really supports a whole lot of what we do in order to, in order to, to grow and support our economy and give, a, give everyone a high quality of life. So whether we're talking about the movement of goods that keeps our factories running on time or getting kids off to school or those of us who need to get to work every day. One thing we all have in common is that we don't like to sit in traffic. And it just so happens that one of SEMCOG's traffic congestion experts is sitting right across from me, my co-host Chris Williams. Chris, what can you tell us about how traffic congestion plays into the overall transportation planning process? Um, I think we can all agree that congestion is really inconvenient. Um, it definitely affects our um, quality of life in the region. Um, it affects our economy with, um, you know, goods not being able to move as freely as they, they can. Um, and then, we, you know, we can't get to work, we can't get to school, we can't get to the places that we enjoy because we're stuck in traffic. Um, and that costs uh, us in time. It also costs, you know, real money often. Um, first, we have to identify where the congestion is um, and when that congestion occurs. Is it something that happens every day? Or is it something that happens because of a specific event like a crash or um, a, a, an event, right? So those things are, and you kind of mitigate those in different ways. So ultimately, what we want to do in the regional transportation plan is to address congestion from a multifaceted approach and not just thinking in terms of building new roadways. So in addition to creating inconvenience, traffic congestion also affects our air quality. What other ways is the environment a factor when it comes to planning for our transportation system? You referenced air quality and also water quality are the two um, big pieces when we talk about how our transportation system impacts the environment. There are about 3,000 bridges in the region and a good amount of those pass over water. And when we are close to sensitive areas, whether that be woodlands or wetlands, that our network has is a part of and has been a part of, um, these are really important considerations to make. After experiencing several large flooding events over the past couple of years and needing to plan for perhaps more severe storms now and in the future, it's going to be more and more important for the transportation system to be able to handle more water. And by handling, I don't mean just be able to direct it into our storm sewers uh, because those become quickly over overwhelmed and we'll experience the flooding all over again. Uh, it's better to be able to trap and hold the water in areas and have it infiltrate through the ground. So we are, through our plan, encouraging uh, transportation agencies when they're developing projects to be able to consider water quality early on in the process, to be able to identify areas where water can be held to integrate uh, water quality features into projects like green infrastructure, creating bioswales on the sides of roadways, being able to have more porous surfaces so that water can infiltrate. Um, and by doing so, we'll be able to take the transportation system and be able to use it to improve our water quality overall. These systems are so interconnected. And so uh, by building 
the uh, building a, a system to be able to collect the condition data, not just for roadways, but for also for underground infrastructure, we'll be able to coordinate repairs on all of these systems together in a way that's much more cost effective than treating them all separately. So we work to make sure that transportation investments um, have positive impacts in the communities that um, they're located in or portions of communities specifically. And uh, that includes making sure there aren't adverse effects to specific areas due to noise or, or dust or other um, impactful changes. So having a system that is equitable and considers these components for our most vulnerable populations or vulnerable areas within our region is really important. The considerations include like historic sites, wetlands, places of cultural significance, areas that are make communities special and making sure that our, our work doesn't have any negative impacts on the great communities that we already have, just enhance them. Christina, you mentioned that, you know, wherever you go in our region, you can see that the infrastructure uh, above above the ground isn't isn't always in the in the best shape. There are a lot of roads and other transportation assets that that need some that need some love. How do you decide uh, how to spread those limited resources over which projects? How do we make decisions about where the best investments are made? Sure, that's a really good question, and um, this is why we rely on our partner agencies a lot when we are making these decisions for a regional transportation plan. We incorporate feedback from the public and where they place priorities, not only in topics such as biking and walking or the conditions of the roads, or if they have congestion problems in certain areas, but also the locations where those exist. And we take all of this data that we have and share them with our partner agencies and the uh, county road commissions who um, each decide based off of their local knowledge as well for where priority should be placed and where the best use of each dollar will be spent. This goes back to a, a whole lot of what we did when we looked for uh, public participation in this plan and sought out what the priority should be. And uh, overwhelmingly, when we asked the public and we looked at the data, um, preservation of our roadways, the pavement condition of roadways was by far the top answer. Um, and so when we were working with our partners, we emphasized that. And when the, we looked at the final investment that's in our plan, about three quarters of all the, all the money uh, that will be invested in roadways will be put towards pavement preservation. So what are, what are some of the, the projects that, after, after all that analysis has been done, what are some of the major transformational projects that, that folks can expect to see happening around the region? One project that uh, uh, has been in the works for a couple of decades in the, in the planning and, uh, and getting the, all the agreements together is the Gordie Howe International Bridge, which uh, is already underway, but will be uh, opening up in, in the next few years. That bridge will provide a highly valuable additional connection to our neighboring country in Canada that is both important just for maintaining a good social connection to a friendly neighbor, uh, but also over a quarter of all of uh, the U.S.-Canadian trade crosses over the Ambassador Bridge uh, currently, and o over a third of all U.S.-Canadian trade crosses over somewhere between our frontiers on, in Detroit and, and Port Huron. And so we are a critical trade component to both of our nations. 
uh, if something should happen to any of these facilities, it will put tremendous strain on their on the remaining facilities. And so uh, having the reassurance of, a, of an additional connection is highly important. In addition, it will have updated characteristics. We'll have fiber optic cables strung across for better communications. It will have better emergency responses, and it will have direct tie-ins to both the Canadian freeways and the U.S. freeways, making them a trip more reliable for, uh, for trucks going across. And it's also supposed to have a place for people to actually be able to walk and bike across the bridge too, right? Absolutely. That, that is a, a feature that was added in after a lot of public feedback about the desire to be able to make a, a trip by walking or biking between our two countries. A really good example of some regional collaboration is happening in Macomb County, specifically on Mound Road, where the federal government, as well as our state and local governments understand the very important economic activity that happens on the Mound Road corridor. And there is $217 million that are going into the investment of this road. And it's not just improving the quality of the pavement, but there's going to be ITS, intelligent transportation system components added to this that incorporate freight movements. There is Um, improvements to connections across Mound Road that will create better pathways for folks who are walking in that corridor. Right now, it's not a very enjoyable place to walk and and bike, and so safety components are added to this project, and it's really transformational to the economy of our region. Um, Another project that is pretty novel in our our plans is uh, I-375 is currently in our plan to be Uh, taken from a sunken freeway design to a surface level arterial. It will help connect downtown Detroit to the neighborhoods to the east of it. And really, it's it's something that very few sections of freeway have ever been changed from uh, full freeway back to uh, a surface level street that is able to incorporate the the rest of the city around it. I think it will provide much better connections to things like the Eastern Market and and other areas to weave together some of the city fabric again. Another project that has been long, long in plan and development is the Detroit Intermodal Freight Terminal. Uh, this is a rail-based project and includes both uh, projects that will reduce delay in, in rail operations. Currently, there's, there's sometimes trains that are delayed for hours before they're able to, uh, to, to be able to advance ac- across intersections. Um, and it also works with the rail companies to be able to locate all in one area in order to expand capacity for uh, for the containers, the, the boxes that are in the back of the vehicles that are uh, shipped across oceans. Both expands their capacity and their ability to, to be able to pick these boxes on and off of trains and, and trucks. But one thing that is really critical to this project is uh, the way the trucks that come and pick up and drop off these containers reach the rail yard are going to be um, in areas that are away from current populations. Right now, the, the, there, there's a whole lot of truck activity that is it, that takes place within neighborhoods, with neighborhood businesses and neighborhood residents that, uh, that um, happens right where people are walking and living. Uh, and so that by implementing the DIFT, a lot of those truck trips will be diverted into areas that have fewer residents around them. Christina and Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Chris and Trevor. Pleasure. Thank you. This has been SEMCOG's Region Ahead. Thanks for joining us as we consider the important issues that affect Southeast Michigan. You can learn more about transportation in our region at semcog.org RTP. Thanks also to Trevor Bryden and Christina Ignashik for joining us today. Region Ahead is available on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and the SEMCOG website.